you know what that means. It's Sunday morning, which means scoodly-oo-wah-wah-wah. You know what that means. It's Sunday morning, which means it's time to play some jazz music. Sunday jazz, this will be a weekly thing. I'm going to do this every Sunday no matter what. Even after the um, quarantine has long since ended, whenever that may be, we, we don't know. So I thought, you know, this is uh, number three. This is part three of the supplemental jazz edition of Quarantunes. And uh, yeah, the idea of doing this once a week. Five songs, some stories to go with it. Approximately an hour each show. I think it'd be fun. So, here we go. So I hope you're having a wonderful Sunday morning. I have my uh, hot, freshly brewed cup of coffee in front of me. And on tap, um, five unique jazz standards. Well, three standards, how about that? One adaptation and one, well, an adapted cover. And a cover. I think um, we haven't heard from our first artist in a few years. Uh, in the mainstream, that is. She's continued to record. And uh, her latest album was released in 2018, titled Ruby. The world first learned about her back in 1999 when she released her first album, How Life Is. Do you remember who that artist is? I'm, of course, talking about Macy Gray. And the song I want to play for you now is from her 2011, or 2012, sorry, 2012 release, Covered, where she took some, well, about 18 tracks in total, uh, recorded originally and written by other artists, and put her own spin on them. These are all basically done in jazz uh, adaptations, jazz arrangements, and I thought it would be interesting to play a Metallica song in jazz. So... As we begin our Sunday jazz sojourn, please get comfortable. Enjoy this wonderful version of Nothing Else Matters by Macy Gray. I see 
if when Metallica first wrote that song, they would ever hear a version of it quite like that. Somehow, I doubt it. But you never do know. Now, I realize that might have been a little bit heavy for jazz. But, have you listened to Bitches Brew from Miles Davis? Or Love Supreme from John Coltrane? Because those records were equally as heavy. And they are still very much jazz. So I'm going to dial it down a bit in a few minutes here, but I first want to talk about the artist known as Macy Gray. So she, her real name is uh, Natalie Renee McIntyre. And she's originally from Canton, Ohio. Now she came up with the name Gracie, Macy Gray. She said she was... Um, she had a bicycle accident when she was a child, and uh, she noticed a name of a man named Macy Gray on a mailbox. She liked it, so she started to use the name in stories, and then she later decided to use it as her stage name. And she started getting involved with music um, when she was at USC, University of Southern California, of course. She was asked by a friend to write a few songs, so she did. And uh, during a demo session, um, it was scheduled to re be recorded by another singer, but the, the person never showed up, so they asked uh, Macy Gray to do it. She did, and then that was it. It kind of changed her life. She uh, got heavily into music at that point, and it was never the same. So her first album, How Life Is, re released in 1999, went on to sell four million copies with her uh, smash hit, I Try. Of course, there were several other songs released from the record, Do Something, which didn't do anything, oddly enough, on the charts. Why Didn't You Call Me was a follow-up hit, which did quite well for her, actually. And she's never stopped recording. We haven't seen much of her in the mainstream public eye in the last few years, but her last album was released in 2018, titled Ruby. So the records are still out there, and she's still doing well for herself. Of course, these days, no one is touring, so, you know, maybe we'll see what happens in the future. But her list of awards, my goodness gracious, BMI, Black, Black Reel, Brit Awards... She won the Grammy all for her first album. She won the Grammy for female pop vocal performance in 2004. I try, or sorry, 2001. My apologies. MTV Video Music Awards. She won for Do Something and I Try for Best New Artist and Best Cinematography. Multiple awards, uh, Independent Music Awards, Billboard Music Awards, uh, Teen Choice, not Teen Choice Awards, sorry, Polestar Concert Industry Awards. So a very well decorated individual. Now my first encounter with her was before, just prior to the record, um, How Life Is being released in 99. It was a Sunday morning and I was watching PBS and there was a program on, and I don't know if it's on YouTube. I, I never even thought to look before I sat down to make this recording. But it was titled uh, Sessions at West 54th. And it w I, I believe that's what it was. I could be incorrect. And it was hosted by um, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, John Hyatt. So I tuned it in, and 
the scene is they're in the two of them sitting at a very small table across from one another in a white room and basically the camera pans from one shoulder over the artist to the interviewer and back and forth and he starts to interview her and she opens up her mouth to speak and her speaking voice is identical to her singing voice identical if you've never heard her in an interview that's what she sounds like and she's a, a very groovy person. I don't know how else to describe her beyond that. But I was immediately hooked. And uh, so they would intercut performances with the interview. So I literally turned it on and I go, hey, John Hyatt, I don't know who Macy Gray is. And she starts to speak. I'm like, well, that's an interesting voice. So I continued to watch and then all of a sudden, this song, I Try, gets played live in front of a, an audience. And that was it. I was hooked forever. So the song that she covered, like I said, it's a Metallica song. And it was off of their 1992 Black Album, which was the first number one album they ever had. Produced by um, Bob Rock. And, uh, well, that record went on to sell 31 million copies. A million in Canada, um, 16, almost 17 million in the U.S., uh, 900,000 in the U.K., 2 million in Germany. So a million records in Canada is diamond status, which would be 10 platinum records. 16 times platinum in the, in the U.S., um, 10 times in New Zealand, 5 times in Argentina, 12 times in Australia. You get where I'm going with this. When you sell 31 million copies of a very hard rock record, that's when people sit up and take notice, and the industry certainly did. And nothing was ever the same for Metallica, so I guess nothing else really did matter after that. Okay, that was a terrible pun. I realize that. I'll stop talking and get back on to um, the reason we're here, to listen to some music. So let's go to um, Nova Scotia to um, Halifax specifically, where this uh, performer is originally from, I would venture to guess that these days she's living in Toronto. From her uh, latest album, Holly, released in 2018, this is um, an artist that I have been following since the very first time I heard her back in 1989. Um... The Christmas Blues was her first record, uh, which was, of course, a Christmas album. And then Girl Talk, released in 1990. That was it. I was hooked forever. One of my favorite jazz vocalists, the incomparably talented Holly Cole, with Everybody Loves Somebody. Everybody loves somebody sometime Everybody falls in love somehow Something in your kiss just told me My sometime 
somebody finds somebody someplace There's no telling where love may appear Something in my heart keeps saying My someplace, it's here If I had it in my power of it, but 
it didn't really see any chart or sales success. So during the album sessions for Dream with Dean, with an hour of studio time left and one song short, Ken Lane suggested to Dean Martin that take a run at his tune. Dino was quite agreeable, so they quickly recorded it. It was a laid-back, quiet version of the song. Oh, and it should be noted that Dean Martin had sung it about 17 years earlier on Bob Hope's radio show in 1948. So his original recording was in 1964. But... He almost immediately re-recorded the song for his next album, and it was, of course, with a full orchestra and chorus. His record label was so enthusiastic about it that they renamed the album title to Everybody Loves Somebody to capitalize on it. Now, this was in 1964, so the British invasion had already begun, and they were worried that, you know, would an Italian crooner who's basically been singing standards for almost 20 years catch on with a bunch of teenagers? Dean Martin was not a fan of rock and roll, which created a bit of conflict at home with his son, who, like, you know, most young people at the time worshipped the Beatles. So he said to his son, I'm going to knock your pallies off the charts. And August 15th, 1964, he did just that. Everybody Loves Somebody knocked the Beatles a hard day's night off the number one slot in Billboard, going straight up to the top of the Hot 100 and the Pop Standard Singles Charts, where it remained for eight weeks. Uh, you know, an apt description of the uh, overall power of the song in uh, Dean Martin's life the words everybody loves somebody actually appear on his grave marker in Los Angeles. The song hit number eight in Canada on the RPM Top 40, number three on the Chum Hit Parade, number one in New Zealand, number one in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, number one in the U.S. Billboard Pop Standard single, and number one in the Cashbox Top 100. I could not begin to give you uh, sales figures for it because they simply aren't available and they would have been mostly speculative anyway but I've always uh, been a big fan of the song and I particularly like Holly Cole's interpretation of it because I've loved her voice since the first time I heard it and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did so continuing with a little bit more Canadian content let's play um a recording from uh, the late, great maestro of the keyboard, Mr. Oscar Peterson, the OP, if you will. From the album We Get Requests from the Oscar Peterson Trio, recorded in 1964, same year as Dino's Everybody Loves Somebody. This is the uh, composition which was written by, oh my goodness, who wrote this song now? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll figure that out afterwards. I have a note on it here somewhere. This song from the We Get Requests album from the Oscar Peterson Trio is You Look Good to Me. You 
we get requests. That's the Oscar Peterson Trio with You Look Good to Me. So that song was originally written by Seymour Lefko and Clement Wells. I don't have a whole lot of information on the composition, but we do know who wrote it, and that's important enough because we can always search those gentlemen out. So the Oscar Peterson trio consisted of, um, well, of course, Oscar Peterson, Mr. Ray Brown, double bass, and Ed Thickpen was the drummer. That album ended his uh, 14-year work with Verve, which of course started in 1950. Verve is an incredible jazz label, if you're not familiar with it. Seek out the Verve catalog. They have, my goodness, thousands upon thousands of recordings. And all of them with magnificent sound quality, such as what you've just heard. I could listen to that song and that album on repeat throughout my day. And that is the absolute truth. I don't know about you, but I was not sitting back and relaxing to that. I was standing up and dancing. Because when OP plays, man, you just gotta move, baby. Do you know what I mean? Maharaja of the keyboard, not the maestro, Maharaja of the keyboard, as coined by Duke Ellington, but simply put, OP to his friends. Eight Grammy Awards, 200 recordings, thousands of live performances. One of the greatest jazz pianists that ever lived. His career lasted more than 60 years, and of course, He's a good Canadian kid from Montreal. The late, great Oscar Peterson. So sticking with the piano theme and the piano player, I thought I'd play a song from the 1967 release, Straight No Chaser from Thelonious Monk. And specifically, that's the track I want to play. Coincidentally, there was a documentary film that I've seen years ago. It was recorded in 1988 about Thelonious Monk, and that was the title of the film as well. If you're interested in Monk and his unique style, I suggest you seek the film out. It's a, it's a good watch. If Again, if you like jazz, if you like Thelonious Monk, it's a good film to watch. So this album was given basically four stars by everyone who reviewed it at the time. You know, the thing about Thelonious Monk is it's, it's thought that he, he may have suffered from mental health issues of what we're not exactly certain, possibly schizophrenia, possibly bipolar disorder, but it made for some unique uh, behavior when he uh, performed. Because oftentimes he would jump up from the piano and dance beside it for, you know, a few minutes and then sit back down and pick up right where they were in the song. Interesting character for certain. So, let's just sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy Straight No Chaser from Thelonious Monk. Thank you. 
1967 recording of Straight No Chaser. That's Straight No Chaser by Thelonious Monk. So that song was originally recorded in 1951 um, for the... um, album The Genius of Modern Music Sessions. It also appears on Mulligan Meets Monk, Five by Monk by Five, Time for some jazz, Monk's Blues, and a live version of it appears on albums recorded in Italy, Tokyo, and It Club at the Jazz Workshop. Miles Davis has a famous recording of it on uh, his version of, uh, of the song on his album Milestones which the tune is played in F rather than B-flat. I don't expect you to know that if you're not a musician. I'm not a musician, but I do understand it because I did study music a long time ago. Lyrics were written for the song in 1988 um, by Carmen McRae as part of her studio album. Carmen Sings Monk, but for copyright reasons, the song was renamed Get It Straight. The version you just heard was recorded in 1967, but it was not the album cut that was released at the time, as they had abridged it and shortened it to 10 minutes and 28 seconds. The version you heard was 11 minutes and 28 seconds, with an additional minute spliced back in from the original master tapes. That was, of course, uh, reissued in the 1996 CD version. So, the late great Thelonious Monk, the man who was one of the most influential pianists in jazz and yet only wrote 70 compositions during his lifetime. Master player, though. So to end today's uh, jazz session off, I thought I'd uh, revisit um, a Miles Davis composition from the album Kind of Blue. Now, this song was recorded in uh, 1959, and it's been known to be uh, often referred to as an innovative experiment in modal jazz. You see, the piece has no written melody, but it's basically defined by a set of chord changes that are improvised over using various modes. Each musician chose the number of bars for each of their modal passages in his solo. So Davis gets credit for the song form, but um, Bill Evans is uh, credited with the opening four-bar vamp. I'm not going to get into the musicality of it because it's rather unique, but it changes keys throughout. So, from the 1959 monumental jazz album, Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, featuring John Coltrane, Cannonball Adderley, Paul Chambers, Jimmy Cobb, and Bill Evans. This is the spectacular Flamenco Sketches.
magnificence that was Miles Davis from the landmark recording Kind of Blue Flamenco Sketches A song that is um, one that I like to kick off many Sunday mornings with Well I like the entire album Let's not kid ourselves here There is an alternate take of Flamenco Sketches that's included on the uh, one of the most recent, recent reissues of Kind of Blue. I prefer this one myself. It was the fifth and final track on the record. But yes, you can certainly hear the additional version if you like. You can seek it out. It is available. So each member of the band, um, uh, with the exception of uh, um, James Cobb, Jimmy Cobb, They've all since uh, passed away. Um, of course, John Coltrane in 69, he died. Paul Chambers uh, died in 69 as well. He was only 33 at the time. Jimmy Cobb, who is um, 91, is still going strong playing the drums. And he's, he's, not, he's never stopped. He's been playing drums since 1949 when he was 20 years of age, when he started recording. Cannonball Adderley passed away in 75 at the age of 46, and Miles Davis, of course, passed in 1992. But the music does live forever, doesn't it? And for that, I am very thankful. So I hope your Sunday morning is off to a nice start. I hope you've enjoyed today's um, supplemental jazz edition. And I'm going to sit back, have another cup of coffee, and listen to some more Oscar Peterson. I'll return next Sunday with some more jazz. Until then.